0: All of this is wasted if we can't show impact or have an impact on others. All of us have a story to tell. It's about the It's about mentorship. This is a general website. We more exclusive content on www.mast.com. It's about entrepreneurs coming together to say, I have a journey of my own. That journey is not perfect, but... I want to see if there's things that I've learned that I can impart on others. Welcome to the Mass Startup Podcast. I'm Machine Badaw. This podcast is an empowerment platform for the opportunity seekers, the problem solvers, the game changers, the future shapers, the world builders, the entrepreneurs. This podcast will look to explore the very nature of entrepreneurship in Africa and profile entrepreneurs who are breaking new ground in their respective industries. Okay. Um, After much technical difficulty, we're actually going to get started now. Okay. Um, So please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, guys. Uh, Thanks for having me here. My name is Zanele Madome. I'm the CEO and founder of uh, Neni Now and uh, on-demand Neni Service Hire.
0: Do um, you want to just go through sort of your journey of entrepreneurship? Like, when did you start wanting to build things that mattered and um, have a startup? When did you even know what an entrepreneur was?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I started my journey at the age of 21, I think formally. Informally, I started at the age of 16.
0: What were you doing?
1: <laughs> I, was, I was a Shabin queen. <laughs> I, was, I was selling alcohol from my mom's house. Things were tough there, and I was like, you know what? I have to do something. So the lady next door to me was selling beers, and I could see that oh, this is a booming business. So because I was selling body keep keep and things like that, and really it was not cutting it. Yeah. So I started selling alcohol. We used so to fight there, for twice. This
0: is this the first time you learned about product marketing?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a word for it.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: so that's when I started informally and started poaching her clients and uh, started selling beers. Then my, my sister, who was studying at, what was it called, University of Westville at the time, she got a job and bought some sofas, some couches. Okay. And then she closed my business because my customers were using <laughs> the sofas too much. But <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, that's when my my, my informal Shibin Quinn business closed down. Then I went to Varsity. Okay. Yeah, I went to varsity. Then on my second year of Varsity, it was really boring. I was at Rao at that time. Now what we're are Scor- you studying. I was studying BA Communications. Oh, cool. Yes, yes. I wanted to do economics, but because of my maths was really, yeah, 30 percent-ish. <laughs> 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 then I just said, OK, let me do BA Communications. Yeah. But through my second year of studies, I started getting bored because I could see that I was spending most of my time either in Nasrec attending mining conferences, or in Santin gate-crushing business breakfast, business dinners, and and just doing all business-related things. Then I went home back to Rustenburg. I I sat with my mom, and I said, Mom, I I want to drop out, so let's make a deal. I want to drop out now. I want to go into mining or construction. If it doesn't pan out in three years, I'll go back to school. Then she agreed, and then the rest is history. Then uh, I packed my bags, left Joburg, went back home to Rustenburg. Started my first construction company at the age of twenty one.
0: So you just mm-hmm. started the company. You didn't like go and study and go no. through that process. No,
1: I didn't study. I okay, didn't where's study. this
0: like confidence <laughs> coming from? <laughs> well. the? Where's the confidence coming from to do the this?
1: confidence? I think from attending these conferences and I could see that I'm an, I man, I can do better than this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so so is, what did is your this company BEE? do?
0: So what did the company do right at the beginning?
1: Uh, we, did, we started with uh, subcontracting, because at that time I didn't have a car. All I had was my, was my wheelbarrows, and my mom was, was my family and friend, <laughs> founder, my mm. founder. Yeah, so she was a teacher by then. So I started knocking on, on, on companies like your Greenacre, your Group Fives because it's easy to get a subcontract. It was easy at that time. And my first job was uh, we were building some townhouses, where I was paid fifty cents per Mampara Stena. Mampara Stena is that brick that you can pay, that you can paint over mm-hmm. the cheap ones and one run fifty cent for the face bricks. So that's what that was my first foray into uh, construction.
0: But what where were you getting the bricks from?
1: No the bricks because you are a subcontractor, you get everything from the main contractor. So all you have to do is to bring your wheelbarrows, bring your hand tools yeah. and your, your your tea.
0: And transport them.
1: Yes, yes, and transport them, yeah. But with me, because I didn't have a car, I will tell them that there's a spot. Make sure that you get on a taxi by 7 a.m., you are there. Because in construction, we don't do 9 to 5. Mm. You start very early in the morning. But uh, as well, it was so challenging because I'm young, I'm 21, and you just get people from the street who, can, who say, hey, sister, we can build, only to find <laughs> out when, <laughs> <laughs> when it's time to invoice. Because we used to invoice every fortnight. beat? who was the the supervisor from Greenacre that side will come with a waterpass a waterpass is a thing that an instrument that you use to measure whether the wall is straight or skewed and my wall will be so skewed and <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he you he will just so take is this, as, is a, a hammer. Is
0: the, is the Wall Street also
1: Exactly, exactly. And once he comes with a hammer, you know he's going to break down your 50 cents and your 150 cents. And at the end of the day, you have to pay those incompetent people who told you that they could actually build. So that's how I learned. I used to cry in those toilets all the time until like, I knew my construction story until I knew that a, a, a good builder has to build at least 400 bricks per day, not 20 bricks you know, and at the end of the day you have to invoice and things like that. Then from there I started now getting some subcontract jobs in the mining companies because I'm from Rustenburg. So I build up on that experience. Then as I start and maybe when I was 22, 23, then I started you know, doing some more mining jobs. Then I went to Sasol. Uh, I went to Sasol here in Rosebank when it was still the head office to just go and present my company saying that, you know what, now I'm looking for uh, for more challenging jobs. Mm. Now I want to go into Sasol refineries and do construction there and do some work in the refineries because there were no, there were a few black females, if ever, that were doing that at at that time. Mm. Then I went to present uh, my story to the Sasol CEO. By then I managed to get an appointment with the CEO and after the meeting he was like uh-uh, I don't want to give you a job I don't want you to give I don't want to give you a contract uh, but I love your tenacity and your spirit so I want you to come and work at Sasso <laughs> <laughs> so I was like and the, the salary that time was 15,000 rands, and you know from the stress of writing Hey. What, <laughs> Is 2003. Mm. Yes, yes. And I was like, okay, no, I'll take it oh, I all. I want a stable salary. I've been struggling for too long with this <laughs> with this contracting and tender how, business. How many, how many years did you do the subcontracting
0: in, in construction? In
1: construction, two years. Mm. Two years, yeah. I did it so for two years. was the
0: appeal of a stable salary and like a fixed income yes. just like way too
1: appealing? At it, it was way too appealing and I was like, you know what, right, let me just pause this thing for a while. Let me do this, then. And he said, "You know what? Uh, I'm going to create a position for you, so because I want to give you a whole overview of, of, of entrepreneurship and the industry. So for me, it was the appeal of a stable salary and also the learnings that I will get from there with just a metric, because it was not easy to just go into sales with a metric. Mm. Then uh, they I had some interviews there, you know, for, to see where I could fit in, and they put me in procurement. That's when now I was like, oh, I'm close to home, I'm close to entrepreneurship again. Mm. So I worked there for, for two years uh, as a junior procurement officer, being on the other side of the fence now, learning about the corporate aspect of it, the, the fundamentals, the systems and all of that. But after two years, the, 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 it start, I started you know, scratching again. It's, yeah, 'Cause when you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, it'll always pull you back, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> then but what are the
0: what are the sort of things that you learned in the mining and construction stuff mm. that really helped you in that corporate environment and like mining and procurement stuff?
1: I think what, what helped me as well was, you know, to deal with entrepreneurs when you are on the other side. Because mm. that time I remember I was at the other side as an entrepreneur. So now when I was in procurement and with that experience, I could empathize more with them. I could help them, because some things we must just help them with, especially putting together the right tender document without giving them confidential info, without, you know, bribery and all sorts of stuff. Just help them get a foot in, because most of them, you were just there, you opened your own CC, that time it was CC were popular. You open your own CC, you don't know where to start. You didn't go through any incubators, incubators are things of now. So most of our black people, and you know, coming from apartheid era and all of that, they were not given those, that exposure and resources. So for me as a procurement officer on the other side, I think that's how I was helping mostly our black people in that position that I was with, yeah, with advice and all of that. So mm. yeah, yeah,
0: So what was the next step?
1: Then the next step, I resigned. Yeah, yeah. No, it it was even painful for my family. (laughs) They were used to the black text. But but I was like, no, I have to resign now. And what
0: motivated that resignation?
1: I think also corporate. Yo, corporate was not for me. It, (laughs) It just holds you back. You can't be as creative as you want. I remember the last row was when I... Because I didn't have a car, and I was like, okay, I want a car, I want a Ford, Ford Fiesta, I think it was one something, the hundred and something, star. and I said, okay, I can't just wait for month and month and month, and uh, how can I raise this 150? Okay, let me have an SMME conference. Then I started organizing an SMME conference, started organizing. A, what was it called? It was called what? Black SMME I don't know, black SMME funding or something <laughs> like that, but there was black and there was SMME. <laughs> and I started getting uh, uh, sponsors and organizing everything. Then uh, two weeks or just a month before the conference, and I even used my money to book the venue, the hotel. Then two weeks or a month before the conference, I spoke with my boss to say, oh, I'm inviting you to a conference. Uh, it's a black SMME award, so just come and support yeah, so I've organized this. I've been organizing this for the past six months. Yo! And then she was furious. And they say, You even use company email address. I didn't know those things because mm-hmm. I was using my company email address to, to mean, organize. To things. organize, yes. I even used company resources, internet, and all of that. And I was called to a disciplinary hearing. Uh, I was given a final warning. But for me, I think that was the last straw that, you know what? The corporate is not for me. I was here to learn and live. It's not for me. I'm I'm too creative. I'm too entrepreneurial. I must just go out there and create and build. Mm -hmm. That's what I do best. So, within the confines of corporate and the rules and regulations, that was not possible. That was not possible, yeah. So, so, yeah, I think that's what drove me to leave. And Mm -hmm.
0: what was your next step after
1: leaving? Yeah, my next step, because I left without a plan, Uh, a friend of mine said, Oh, there's a company in Mosul Bay. There's a BEE company in Mossel Bay, they've just been awarded a multi-million rent uh, contract doing scaffolding for Petro SA. So because uh, it's a BEE, uh, what is it? Uh, It was a BEE concept where they take former employees who were unskilled and gave them shares and say run with this, Uh, it was like 25 million per annum contract. It was a scaffolding contract. So they were looking for business development managers and things like, people like that to help them structure everything. So I, I went there, I, I worked with them. That one was so exciting because it was like a startup starting everything from scratch. Mm. And yeah, and I had, you know, I, I had the power to do anything that I could to, to grow with them because they were, I was one of the team that was helping them grow. Mm. Then I stayed in Mosel Bay for two years. Then after that, I said, okay, now I have to go and start my own thing. Then I went <laughs> back home again uh, and I said, now I'm going into mining. But, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, your Petrus with I don't have, you know, to, to, to run a mine, to own a mine, you have to have technical uh, uh, capabilities. You have to have capital. It is very capital intensive. But I say, uh, I'm a person who always say, okay, if I can go get through the main door, there, there must be a back door somewhere. Yeah. Then I started researching it, and I found out that in mining, there's something that's called a uh, mine contracting where before they can extract the ore and take it to the market, you need service providers. There's some who do drilling and blasting, there's some who do open cast. the secondary support. There's so much that you have to do before the actual extraction of the ore and taking it to market. Mm. Then uh, I started researching, then I I came across uh, secondary support uh, services and drill and blasting. And then I said, okay, and I went back to my modus operandi to say that, okay, if you don't have experience, if you don't have experience in this, you have to subcontract, you know, earn your stripes, then go and do it on your own. Mm. Then I approached one of the biggest companies at that time called shaft sinkers. They were the ones that actually shift, uh, sink the shaft for the, for, for the mines, for your anglos, you know, all types of mines. You have to sink that, especially when you go underground. Then I, I approached them. I approached them. Then they gave me an opportunity, mm. and they say, "Okay, we'll give you an opportunity." At that time, I was now used, still using taxis. You know, I will come to Nort uh, with my techies, Go. The offices were in Santin When you get there, you know, you must always be nice to security guys, please. <laughs> That's where I used to change into my nice suit and my uh, my nice shoes, do my makeup, get in, go back, use that changing room again, go back to my taxis. Then, yeah, they gave me that opportunity. I'm very thankful for Sharp Sinkers.
0: What, what mm. do you think it is about mm. sort of your energy or um, who you are that makes people want to open doors for you?
1: I think my. It seems that,
0: like there's a trend throughout <laughs> yes. your career, right? Where people are going, this is someone that clearly has something that, you know, mm. they've got something here. Mm. And they're willing to open the door, create the opportunity, whether it's yes. developing a whole new role. Mm-hmm. or a situation where they're just giving you an opportunity mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is. What do you think it is that that that, that you have mm-hmm. that help makes people do that?
1: I think my energy and my can-do attitude, I don't let, you know, my le- like my lack of skills or lack of engineering skills, because I was in a highly engineering system with my 30% mess. <laughs> so for <laughs> me, it's, it's my energy and my can-do attitude, and I I, re- I can really... I'm a quick learner, I'm a fast learner, and I'm very passionate. So if I really want something, I'll go after it, and I'll make sure that I get the gift of it. So I think that's, yeah, that's how it happened. Even with shaft sinkers, and they say, no, we'll give you an opportunity. Can you go anywhere in, the, in South Africa? Because as well, you know, I can go anywhere in the world. I don't choose places or things like that. Wherever you throw me, throw me in Papua New Guinea, in DRC. And I've stayed a month in DRC, for, by the way. Throw me anywhere, I'll succeed because I think that's my energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they gave me that opportunity and I worked in Orkney And I found myself a back room there. And I got a, a team, a team of 14 people. And, it, and I'm very claustrophobic and it was my first time going underground because I had to go underground and learn the skill before I can even teach my people or teach my, my, from my uh, future employees. And they gave me my first bike, which was, which was, yeah, it was uh, quite a relief. So yeah, I worked there, went underground, I would sometimes go with the day shift team or the night shift team where we did secondary support. Secondary support is after they do the drill and blasting, Uh, After the development team of the mine, they do the drill and blasting. So the the rock is very shaky. So that's when we come with our equipment and our chemicals, and we spray it on. We spray some chemicals on the wall to make the the walls, you know, thicker and safe for the mine employees. So you'll spray like your 90 millimeter application, 50 millimeter application, according to what the rock engineer tells you. So that's what what was our, what I was doing as a as a yeah, as a young black female. Yeah.
0: How do you skip from all these very traditional sort of industries, so construction, mm-hmm. mining? Petroleum, mm-hmm. and then to now where you very invested or focused on tech startups. What, mm. where what the jump happened?
1: Yes, I think that the tech startup now is my last foray. Now, uh, yeah, I'm home. <laughs> you won't see me baking things and or opening a bakery career. Or... <laughs> I think this one, you know, the concept of fight or flight. Uh, two years ago, was it 2016? Now we're on 2020, no, 2017, somewhere there. I had a nice, cushy contract at um, Mine, staying here and staying in Branston, you know, Butler and all, you know, just living the tender life and enjoying myself. And then uh, the rug was pulled under my feet. It was a five-year contract. And I knew that within that five-year, I would have finished paying my house, paying this and all of that, you know, live happily ever after in the tender world. And, the mine where I was working, uh, uh, it got closed down. The owners were Canadian and they pulled out and you know, all of us, all contractors and employees, we just had to, to leave within uh, three to six months. So I think that was when it hit me that, okay, now it's fight or flight. Mm. I, ha- I had to move uh, out of my home. I had to move back to my mom's house with three kids. I had to let go of my, my Mercedes. I had to yeah, drive my, my, my small Costa, Corsa. I just had to downgrade my whole life and it really affected my kids as well. Because it's, it's all nice and good when you're all alone and you're single. But once now you start having kids and you start you know, having responsibilities, those are the things that I usually uh, tell potential, uh, potential entrepreneurs or people who just want to join entrepreneurship that it's not all hunky-dory. Those are the pitfalls that you must you know, you must think about, that it happens, and yeah, yeah, that's the road of an entrepreneur. So I think that one was my wake up call. So for me it was fight or flight. And I, I sat down with myself, I had my own strategic session, I said, you know what, you've been doing this since the age of 21. There's a contract, there's a lie there's a contract, there's a lie and things like that. So now you're almost 40, you're almost 40, and this cannot be the life for you and your kids. You have so many ideas, you have so many ideas that you've been putting in the back burner because you were very comfortable with the life of tenders and contracts. So mm-hmm. now it's time to, to go for that. Now it's time to dust off those ideas and just go for it. It's now or never. So for me, it was my fight or flight moment. At that time, I used to cry a lot, it was very depressing. I usually say that you know, entrepreneurs will go through a lot of stages of undiagnosed depression. So for me, that was it, because my mom will check up on me all the time. And even now that things are good, she will say, hey, the reason I was checking up on you in that bedroom all the time, I really thought you were going to kill yourself because mm-hmm. you were really depressed and down and out. I, I had to wake you up in the morning and say, just go to town, just go to Wimpy stress. So I think yeah, that's what we go through. But for me, I was like, OK, now I'm going to fight. I, I, I'm a fighter. I have brains. Tenders they didn't make me. Tenders are not going to break me. But let me start using my ideas. Mm. Then that's when I started really researching the tech space. I was so anti-tech. I actually joined WhatsApp two years ago. Ne- <laughs> never, never mind Twitter, because I used to SMS, and my friends would say, hey, I don't want your things. <laughs> so Twitter, as I joined it in 2017, I was, not, I was even not uh, active on Twitter. I started being active on Twitter in, uh, in June last year after, you know, after my mentors from Silicon Valley said, no, you must be on Twitter because you love <laughs> writing and you love engaging. Yeah. So you must get with the times. What? So, yeah. so uh,
0: something that I noticed that you, every time you want to start something or go into something, you're either attending events about that thing or mm-hmm. you reading up about it or researching about it. Mm-hmm. How important is that part for you when you go into something new?
1: I think for me, research is very important. Obviously, research won't give you all the answers. There's still an element of risk involved. But at least if you research, you're 60% there, then the other 40 will be with gut and you know, played by ear. So for me, research or attending events or reading about something is very important. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started researching the tech industry. And I knew that, oh, there's something called Silicon Cape, there's Silicon Valley, there's this. So I'm still a newbie here because I I really started going deep into it from last year. Mm. Then I I started looking at the incubators and I applied for an incubator called uh, Draper University. I think for me, I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. So I said, okay, I'm skipping Silicon Cape. I I want to go to Silicon Valley. I was like, okay, the the clock is ticking. I I just want to go to Silicon Valley. It's make or break. So yeah. So it was another culture shock for my poor family. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom was like, I don't understand this texting, but I'll support you my child. At least you live in the bedroom now. At least least now you go into the internet cafe, you have a spring in your step. So yeah, I think they were happy about that. Then uh, I applied for Draper. I got through De- Draper University, the, the the incubator program, but now uh, I got stuck in the middle because they wanted uh, 10,000 USD uh, for, you know, to pay for the incubator. It's not like your YC where you can get for free and things like that. Yeah. They wanted 10,000 USD, I thought I could raise it. I couldn't, but I only, uh, yeah, I couldn't raise it. Then I got an accident with my Corsa mm. I got into an accident with my Corsa, and because it has, I have driven it like for 400,000 Ks, the, uh, the insurance company paid about what, 30 to 35, mm. and as I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to deposit another car, I'm going to use this money to go to Silicon Valley, I'll buy a return ticket, a return ticket via Emirates, even though it takes forever, it's, it's 18K. And I said, the rest as I sleep in hostels or things like that i'm going i'll create my own incubator program because mm-hmm. I knew that there are office hours there, which was something very interesting for me, where you could meet with people like Jason Kalakani's or what for free they you know they they sit you guys they, it's called office hours and they'll give you advice, you'll ask questions, as intimate, you'll meet with people who've worked in Amazon, in FinTech, you know, you will meet with experts and authorities of industry. And I said, you know what, that can be my incubator program. This is what I'm going to do. And I'll also attend a lot of these events, which goes for like $20, $40, your branch works. There's another one called lunch club, where you schedule a lunch with your fellow founders, investors, people in the industry who go for coffee, you have one hour, you chat. So I said, no, I'll use this as my incubator. So that's when I packed up my things and went to Silicon Valley. That was that's insane.
0: Year. Where again, where does the confidence come from? <laughs> I <don't
1: know. laughs> yeah, that, I think it goes with some yeah, maybe craziness, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so that's when, yeah, that's when I left.
0: So what was your experience um, of sort of Silicon Valley's entrepreneurship and startup culture? Um, I, I guess it's, mm-hmm. it's not fair to say, you know, you must compare it. But like, yes. what was your experience of Silicon Valley?
1: Wow, man. The startup culture there, it's, it's insane. And it's like everybody wants you to win. It's a culture where everybody helps you out. Everybody wants you to win, and everybody's free with information. So information is freely available. So for me, that, that was, that's what, and I told myself that, you know what, Zanelli, you made a good decision. This was a really good decision. You didn't waste anything by, by using your last money to do this. So for me, there was this, and inform, information, for me, information is power. So that's what I got there, a lot of info, a lot of people want to help, a lot of people giving their time and resources to help you to get to the next level. People who don't even know you. So yes, they, they are, there is that snack of having warm interests if you want to you know, meet like high ups, VCs and all of that. But people who, most of the people, really it's easy to interact and meet with them and get information from them
0: what what would you say is different about sort of our ecosystem whether it's South Africa or just the continent in general
1: I think here yeah, before i meet you mashudu i'm just going to have to go through the bulldog of your ppa who will give me 3 months before i even get get a meeting especially <laughs> especially once you, you 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 reach the billion dollar level or whatever you know once you, you are at the ech- echelon of, of power so i think here yeah, our people who've made it are not accessible. They are not accessible to us who are starting out. We're not saying give us money. We don't want money. For me, I never want money. I want information. I want I want. I want strategic help. I want, you know, you know don't, don't hold my hand. Don't even hold my hand. Just give me information that to get A to B. Here's and do this. Don't do that because I've been through that. That will burn you quickly. We just want that 30 minutes, 15 minutes interaction of information. That's it. So that we can also grow because you must, I always believe that you must uh, raise as you rise. So here at home, we don't raise as we rise. You're going to raise only the people that you know and the people who know you. Otherwise, it's me, myself, and I. So I think for me, that, that, that was the, yeah. That was the main difference. That's the main gripe that I have. Hmm. Other than that, you know, once you have information, you, you will get the money. You will, you will make some means. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, But let's just share the ecosystem. Let's just share. Let's just raise each other up. The cake is so big, really, for everyone to share. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier on, I think we were just chatting. Mm-hmm. I want to introduce mm-hmm. Ubu Wele,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who's going to be co-hosting some of my podcasts with me this year. Great He's staff. my new business partner as well. <laughs> Great
1: stuff. He wears
0: glasses, is a very nice guy.
1: <laughs> they suit yeah, him.
2: Um, I'm a typical black man, I'm <laughs> old and I wear a <laughs>
0: <laughs> So, I mean, earlier we were just chatting about um, sort of the funding landscape mm-hmm. and just sort of, um, what was the fund we were chatting about? Uh, I think it's Kingston Capital, yeah. Mm. yeah. Just how much money they had. Mm. Um, what are the sort of things you've seen in terms of you know, VC funding or just in general what entrepreneurs should be looking at to raise money? Obviously, it starts with the friends, you know, mm. friends, fools, and what? Family. Friends, family, and fools. <laughs> and fools. <laughs> yes. I need that last F. <laughs> Which is My funny. friends are not doing enough. My family isn't doing enough. You need I your need, fools. Like, I need the fools. I need the fools. <laughs> <laughs> Only the fools can make this work. <laughs>
1: can we add the Forex guys as well? Exactly. They we can
0: help us. It's That's another F.
1: It's another
0: F. That's the fourth, <laughs> That's the fourth <laughs> F. Now, friends, family, <laughs> fools, and fools and Forex guys. Fools and Forex guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, but... What do you think people should be looking at in terms of where they want to find funding? Mm. And also, what's been your experience of raising funding and sort of Mm. um, building on to what you're building now?
1: Mm. I think with funding, it's very difficult if you just have an idea. Because, you know, you have an idea and you try to sell it to somebody that you don't even have a relationship with. So I think with funding, the best place to start is just start. Even if you start with your 10 clients, your 50 clients, just start. And gain and gain some momentum. Because the, the start will help you with great gaining product market fit, number one. It will help you believe in the product and sell it much easier because you, you'll be doing 90% of your time you'll be doing selling. You'll be selling, selling, selling. No, 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 no. Before that yes. So I think just that the, the, the art of the art of it is to just start. Start, then you start now convincing. Your, your angels. And I think before you even go to your VCs, because now we're talking, you know, your seed or pre-seed. Now I've heard of soil seed. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Soil seed. Yes.
1: <laughs> what
2: soil <tea>? seed? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the first time I'm
1: hearing you, that. you should check it out. We were chatting about it with some uh, angels on Twitter that Yeah, yeah things, yeah? Yeah, so soil seed, I, I guess maybe it's your... Ten thousand dollars, five thousand uh, dollars. Excuse me, guys. Now we are okay, getting dollar language.
0: How about we try this, right? So, <laughs> mm. so seed being five to ten thousand dollars. Yes, yes. What would seed be exactly?
1: Seed has really changed because before seed could be between fifty and two fifty thousand dollars, but uh, uh, with my experience in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, some seed can go up to your two million dollars. So I think it's 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 a uh, uh, up to your product. But the seed landscape is really changing. Even now you can find people who are getting seed for two million, like uh, my competitor for the company I wanted to first launch uh, at San Francisco, uh, SUSU, because I had a product like your your stock, digitalizing stock files, but the product market feed was not there, so I had to pivot very quickly. But my competitor there just raised uh, Seed of one point six million US dollar, which was last year August. So the seed landscape is is changing, but for me, maximum now is plus minus two million. But it can even start from from fifty k. Yeah. Mm.
2: You talked about um, starting with what you have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if I was somebody in South Africa starting a like a like a tech company,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like what would the first thing that I should do? Would it be maybe? Like I'm not a technical founder. Like mm-hmm. the first thing be finding a developer to do that, or the first thing be, I don't know, writing out the idea, or just mm-hmm. trying building it out myself, and then try find somebody else with those technical skills. Or, mm-hmm. you know, what would you say the first thing should be if you're mm-hmm. building a tech company in mm-hmm. South Africa? Mm-hmm.
1: If you like, uh, thanks for that question. If you're like me, because I, I'm a non-technical founder, uh, I, I knew nothing about tech. So for somebody like me, who's non-technical, but you have the idea, you start jotting down your idea and find a technical co-founder. But a technical co-founder is like getting into a marriage. You don't, you don't just pick somebody else because you, you might end up fighting you know, and things like that. So if you don't have somebody in mind who can be a technical co-founder, who's very good with the tech aspect of it, who can easily build the MVP uh, rather than uh, outsource, to a developer and let them build an MVP for you. Then you can start. Then that part will come. But as you scale, I think really for peace of mind, because tech is not like now the traditional businesses that you can do solo forever. But as you scale, the best thing is to get a technical co-founder. But if you don't have anybody in mind or anybody in your circle for now, get a developer, pay for them to do the MVP, then start. Then as you build your network, really get a technical co-founder to just, yeah. there. Right,
2: like, like let's say I didn't have money at all. Okay, right? yes. So, and I did, I did not know anybody who had mm. the type of skills that I needed, mm. like, to be a, a technical co-founder. Mm. But there was somebody in mind, mm. or like a development hub, mm-hmm. or with a couple of software guys who can, who can actually do, do or build the MVP for me. What would, like, what payment options do but I we have? But don't have the money. Yep. Do, yeah. I, do I give them a, a piece of the business, or do do you, you know... Yeah,
1: give them sweat equity. Is I it? think that's the best. If you don't have the money, just uh, give them sweat equity. Because yeah, 100% of nothing is nothing. So give them equity, then they can come on board to come and build your, your MVP or build your product with you. Don't,
0: mm-hmm. you. don't you always think the just the obsession uh, with... 100% ownership, and this is mine, this is uh, mine. It's such an obsessive but like ignorant thing because mm-hmm. you can keep 100% and just never raise money and never be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, what mm-hmm. do you have that same attachment to your business I or your to. idea, or is it something that you grow out of as well? Um,
1: I used to have that same attachment that you know, is 100% mine because growing up as in traditional businesses being exposed to traditional businesses and watching your maponyas and all of them. You know. But as you grow and as you evolve in business, and especially in tech, 100% is really nothing. You, you look, look at your Jeff Bezos, your you know, your Elons, 100% won't take you anywhere. Bring in people, give them equity, scale, scale, scale. And build your business. I used to be like that. So, yeah, I know it's a problem with most entrepreneurs, especially coming from traditional business backgrounds. But it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It won't take you anywhere and it won't make you grow. So, yeah, it doesn't work. Like, we, we
2: talked earlier on about, about after the three Fs, um, moving on to like the, the angels of, of the world who mm. give you like like good money to mm. to build out your business. Um, what do you think in South Africa is a problem with our angel network in terms of funding? Because we do have people with money in, in in South Africa. Is it is it is it because they're inaccessible like you talked about it or there's no like a collective effort to bring them together to invest in tech companies?
1: Mm. I think uh, the first thing is that they are inaccessible. Number two is that most of them, not all but most of them are very much risk-averse. So they want you to come with your three-year financials. They want you, you know, ready to rock and roll. like yeah. So most of them are risk-averse. If, they can, if you can just have a vibrant ecosystem of angel investors who speak the language of seed, pre-seed. Okay, we can... Soil s- seed. <laughs> so, soil seed. Don't forget soil seed. It's very yes. important.
2: So you talked about skipping Silicon Cape and going straight to Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. right? But there's been a concisive effort by Silicon Cape to sort of institutionalize the the network of VCs that we have in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And there's been growing funds in South Africa that are working together with incubators to, to have a collective effort to... Invest in technology companies. Do you, do you think those people need to you know so, sort of educate um, the other high net worth individuals in South Africa to say no? Try not be risk averse. Try you know bet on something else. You know because mm-hmm. in South Africa we currently live in a zero growth rate economy mm-hmm. and we're having tech companies like sky ro- mm-hmm. skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. So how do you think? The, the, the current institutionalized VCs like Silicon Cape could mm-hmm. educate the, a, the potential angel network we have in South Africa?
1: Mm. And I think that, uh, there could be a meeting of minds between the two because you're right, we do have uh, your Silicon Cape, we do have your VCs and we do have a, a lot of high net worth individuals sitting on a lot of money that could be doing a whole lot of good for them and also for entrepreneurs, because this is not charity. Yeah. So for them, they, just imagine the people who invested in Uber or now in plate when it was still pre-seed and seed. So I think, like you said, there should be a communication and, like I don't know, some teaching of some sort, some opening, some mind shift. I think, uh, yeah, the concept is mind shift. There should be a mind shift between the two. The two should marry, and there should be a mind shift to tell them that here's the bottom line. If you invest in these companies, here's what it's going to do to your bottom line. Yes, there are risks. It's business. It's entrepreneurship. It's stutter balls. There will be some risk as well. But uh, I think the rewards far supersedes the risks, because in South Africa, especially our tech space, Really, we have a lot of brilliant brilliant minds out there, black and white, coming up with brilliant solutions, brilliant innovations. If somebody can just pump money into them when they're still at precedence seed, it's going to be a win win situation, even for the high net worth individuals.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think a, a question that's sort of obviously not on this um, uh, sort of wavelength, right? But I think it's not. Often it's not asked often enough. It's just what is your experience of you know entrepreneurship, business, startup world, um, as a woman?
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, as a woman, uh, it is very tough because you know, whatever boardroom you enter into whatever events you go into, you're carrying a lot, you're carrying a lot on you you representing other women, you're carrying a million women in your shoulders. And you are seen as a woman before you are seen as a founder. They first see you as a woman before they see you as a founder. I've experienced that when I was in construction, when I was in mining, and even now when I'm in the tech world. So I think it's just a phenomenon that's going around globally, that people will see your femaleness first before they see the founder and the entrepreneur in you. So you're fighting a lot of battles, never mind being black there's another battle on its own. So you always care because, and if you go and present to people where they funded a black founder or a female founder who has failed, that person has failed for all of you. You will be judged because of that person. But if it was just a white male person who has failed and another Mark or rob comes along, they won't judge them because uh, Peter has failed. So I think, yeah, as a woman, we carry that. But as a black woman, It becomes just, yeah, cumbersome, but you have to fight those. Yeah, that's that's the battle that we fight every day, unfortunately.
2: Something that I think we haven't touched on yet was your own tech startup now, Mm -hmm. right? Can you just talk us through, like, what it is, um, what is it supposed to solve, and how far along the journey are you now?
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah. my startup is called uh, Nanny Now. Uh, you can find it at nanny, www.nannynow.co.za. I think that the problem that we are solving there is uh, on-demand nanny hire for busy moms and busy busy dads. Uh, you have to go to the mall. We have uh, a who needs to go to the mall or he needs to go to a funeral, and you just need a nanny for that few hours. So what we do is just you log on, you book a nanny, and we transport the nanny right to your premises. So we're offering convenience and on-demand nanny for, for, for parents out there. But that for me was a test. The, th- the thing was that I wanted to do this and go and scale it and take it that side. But uh, I can't uh, divulge more about it, but uh, we'll be mainly working with you know, your rent- uh, vacation rental companies and the like. So uh, I was just validating it in South Africa and I'll be going back to that side uh, in February to go and work on this.
0: So just finally, um, you've been through so many different iterations of your journey as an entrepreneur, as a businesswoman. Um, what does success look like in 2020? Well, in
1: 2020, this year, hey? <laughs> success for me, will be a product that's built uh, overseas. It's now built here, but that has been polished and launched. I think for me, that will be my success. My success is my uh, product market fit. My success would be my uh, team market fit, because my team is very key. Uh, I already have a technical co-founder, and I have a team of people who've been working in this nanny industry for years who are based in UK and the US, so for me it will be that the team market fit, product market fit and the launch, that will be my success.
0: Cool, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much guys for having me. Pleasure. was a blast.
0: Oh, welcome Ubu Bele, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Bye! by the <either> way. <laughs>